Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm Jesse Bartholomew, and today I'm taking us way back in Kentucky history. But our story is going to start in 1739. So some French explorers were making their way down to the Midwest, and one particular group of about 440 French Canadian soldiers were camped along Big Bone Creek's three outflowing springs, and they were planning an attack against the local Chickasaw tribe. But a small group from this bigger group went out and just started like exploring their surroundings, and that's when they stumbled upon some giant bones. I mean, big. Just the sight of these things made them a little uneasy, but they started digging, and about an hour later, they found themselves staring at multiple ginormous specimens that appeared to be thigh bones and tusks from a very large animal. So they were led further along this creek bed, and they find even more bones. And they had been out in the sun for a long time, so they were this stark white against the creek beds. Now, some of the teeth they found weighed 10 pounds and had a diameter of 5 to 7 inches. They found tusks 11 feet long and thigh bones 5 feet long. They sent some of the bones back to France, where they were put on display at King Louis XV's two-room collection of curiosities, which I will not be attempting to pronounce. My French is very bad. So, to explain where this finding was, Big Bone Lick is in Boone County. It's in northern Kentucky. It has a creek that runs into the south side of the Ohio River, and it's about 80 driving miles away from the Falls of the Ohio in Louisville. More people started passing through this area, and as they did, more and more took note of the amazing treasures hidden in plain sight. Items were taken from the area, either back to colonies or even further back to Europe to be studied. Now, the first systematic collection of these specimens was made by a man named Dr. William Goforth. And in 1806, he gave some of the bones to a colleague of his to take back to Europe and put on exhibit. But that guy actually ended up selling the collection as soon as he got there and he pocketed the money. So instead of staying together, bits and pieces from that collection were sold off to various places, and some were even sold on public auction. We obviously know much more now about these giant bones than the French explorers of the 18th century. I'm going to go ahead and read an excerpt from the book It Happened in Kentucky, which I'll link to in the show notes, and it'll be a little 8th grade science recap for you. So, quote, Approximately two million years ago, three glaciers carved out the interior of the Ohio Valley, creating a path for the Ohio River. As the oldest glacier, the Nebraskan, receded, it left behind flat plateaus resting on top of rolling valleys along northern Kentucky. The Illinois and Wisconsin glaciers subsequently left behind moraines, or piles of glacial debris. Scientists theorized that the ice of the latter two glaciers grew so thick that a large percentage of the Earth's water became part of the glaciers, causing ocean levels to plummet significantly. Seawater trapped in the sediments left behind saline springs. This glacial recession exposed a 50-mile-wide land bridge between Asia and North America, 
through which mastodons, mammals, and other prehistoric animals traveled, all the way to Kentucky. So we were in the 1700s. I'm going to ask you now to hop back in your time machine and go on back 12 to 20,000 years ago. Are you with me? It's pretty cold here in Kentucky. The average temperature is between 15 and 30 degrees Fahrenheit. The climate is cool and moist, so I'm leaving immediately, but the big giant fluffy beasts are happy as can be. Now, some of the beasties who loved this climate were the stag moose, the mylodon, musk ox, bison, ground sloth, and the grand and adorable mastodon. They were drawn to the bone lick area specifically because they like to lick the leftover salt from the receding saltwater glaciers. See, most of the animals that were hanging out in this area were herbivores and they needed that sodium supplement. So here's where it gets sad, and I'm sorry, but for the sake of the story, I have to tell you this part. So these animals were not dainty, you know? In fact, some of these guys were over 11,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. Unfortunately, some of these animals would sink into the swampy salt marshes. It was like quicksand. I mean, the more these animals struggled, the more they would get pulled in. It's really sad, but it's also why there are so many bones in that area and why a lot of them are so well preserved. According to a great article written by R.B. Gilbert, a Louisville physician, in 1909, quote, The best specimens of ancient bones are usually found underwater or buried in muck of pulverized shale and salty earth, some depth below the surface. And when I say so many bones, I mean it was a bone graveyard. They were everywhere, and sometimes they were even put to use. In fact, some visiting explorers allegedly used some of the giant rib bones for tent poles while they camped there. Now, I think you guys probably know this part, but as time went on, the earth warmed up. Thank our lucky stars. And North America thawed out and humans were like, hey, y'all, we could probably live here and eat all these huge animals. So the Ohio River turned into a popular hunting spot for the Paleo Indians. And in case you're keeping up here, hop in your time machine and we're now around 8,000 to 10,000 B.C. And at that time, the area was still swampy, so animals were still getting stuck, which made hunting them a piece of cake. And according to R.B. Gilbert, there were many human bones found in the area as well, and they were estimated to be around the same age. In his writing, Gilbert compares the, quote, annihilation of the mammoth and mastodon by humans to the, quote, almost complete extinction in more recent times of the buffalo and elk in the Ohio River area. And remember, he's writing in the early 1900s. (music) 
So now we're coming back forward in time. And the heavy hitters were a little late to the scene. But by 1807, so about a year after Dr. Goforth, Thomas Jefferson reached out to William Clark and was like, hey, buddy, you got to see this. And so William Clark conducted an expedition and he collected about 300 specimens. According to the book, It Happened in Kentucky, they did this because Thomas Jefferson was, quote, anxious to discredit the European notion that degenerative animals or human giants savagely lurked on the American frontier. I find this whole thing hilarious, and for more on this, you can look up Theory of American Degeneracy from George Buffon in 1766. But the end of the story is that Thomas Jefferson literally sent this man a giant dead moose and was like, look here, buddy, our animals are nice and big and healthy on the frontier. Also, as you'll see in a moment, Thomas Jefferson got a species of giant sloth named after him. Tell me this episode isn't full of fun facts. Now, another fun side note, when Thomas Jefferson facilitated the Louisiana Purchase, he told Lewis and Clark to keep an eye out for live mastodons. So he he was kind of hoping that they were still around. Now, as you can imagine, this area became pretty picked over. Thousands of bones have been removed. Specimens from the area are at various museums and universities all over the world. Big Bone Lick was recognized by the U.S. National Park Service as part of the Lewis and Clark National Historic Trail in 2002. But here's the big bummer. Big Bone Lick State Park now sits just four miles away from the Creation Museum, a giant tourist trap that flies in the face of modern paleontology research. So there's that. Extra side note, there were definitely some carnivores hanging out around the area too, but they didn't need the salt, right? So they were in the area, but they weren't actually in the salt marshes. So that's why there are no remains of carnivorous species in that particular area. And I can't finish this episode without talking about the giant ground sloth. So some reach the size of elephants, okay, thousands of pounds. Obviously related to our modern-day sloths, they were also distantly related to armadillos and anteaters. And as their name implies, they did not hang out in trees, but they were herbivores, and they had big claws for digging and blunt teeth for chewing. There were two types of ground sloths found at Bone Lick. There was Jefferson's ground sloth, which grew to about 9 feet and could weigh over 2,200 pounds, and Harlan's ground sloth, which grew to about six feet. Someone sent Jefferson sloth bones. And at first he was like, oh wow, look at these fancy lion bones. And then later on he realized he was wrong. And he was like, oh, this is a sloth. And so now it's named after him. And here's the heartbreak. All ground sloths became extinct at the end of the Ice Age around 10,000 years ago. I would love to see a ground sloth. So sad. Now, if you've loved all of this and you need more, you're going to need to go to the museum. As far as I can tell, it's free. They have an indoor museum with plenty of fossils, plus they have life-size replicas outside and miles of hiking trails. Now, it's illegal to take fossils from the area anymore, so just hike 
don't touch. Thanks for listening to another episode of Kentucky History and Haunts. If you're enjoying the show and you haven't already, please take a quick moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It just takes a second. It does help me a lot. And if you have something that you want to share with me, if you have a cool fossil story or I need to make a correction, send an email to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. Also find the Facebook page, Kentucky History and Haunts, and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at KY History Haunts. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.